I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But with independence comes a lot of work and some insecurity. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work so I can continue to do what I do. Please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. Or you can become a supporter of this podcast directly on anchor.fm by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking with comedian Yanis Pappas. Hello, Yanis. Thank you for joining me on the Same Drugs. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I'm a fan. Appreciate it very much. Likewise. Glad to be here or, you know, home, but here. So tell me how you got into to comedy. How did you get started? Well, uh, I kind of, I think I've kind of been a comedian my whole life. So, you know, I was always the class clown. I was always causing trouble. I was always a rascal. I was always running around naked, trying to make my friends laugh. And so, yeah, I mean, it was the only thing I could do really. I mean, I'm not good at anything else, and I don't know, you know, it's questionable whether I'm good at this. So I'm just, I'm lucky enough to be doing this and uh, sometimes get a paycheck for it. So it's like stealing money. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good non-plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I suppose, like, you could say that about all sorts of weird careers. I mean, I sort of think that about my career, whatever that is also, which is that like, I never was really good. And I don't feel like I was ever suited for any job or anything else. And then I just kind of somehow fell into this and it seems to work somehow or other. So maybe comedy is, is sort of similar to that. I think so. You're a journalist primarily, right? Or used to be, or yeah, I mean, I'm not really doing journalism anymore, but I did. Well, so I did a, I did a women's studies degree. So I think I'm probably like the only person in the history of the world that ever did anything useful with a women's studies degree, which is criticize <laughs> women's studies. <laughs> I think that the only other option, if you do, I did not only a BA but a master's degree in women's studies. So I th and I was gonna go do a PhD, and then before I started on that, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. But I think you just have to go into academia, I suppose, where you do something else. Yeah. Right. What are the What are the classes like in women's studies? What is is like the history of women and? It should be that, but it's not that. Yeah. I mean, if it were. If I was learning, yeah, they've sort of taken history out of women's studies. And women's studies, I think, actually would be useful if it was about, like, the history of the women's movement um, and, you know, looking at women's struggles globally or something like that. But instead, it's mostly about, like, theory and ideology and gender theory and queering heterosexuality and probably now it's like heavily focused on gender identity like when I was in women's studies 
they were changing all the department names over from women's studies to like gender studies and erasing the word women from the departments. Um, Right. So I'm doubtful that those, those programs even have much to do with women at all. But yeah, when I was in it, I think it was like, it was like analyzing media and, you know, trying to figure out how pornography could be feminist and, you know, that prostitution could be empowering for women and, you know, writing essays full of jargon that sort of are largely meaningless. I like those two <laughs> things, though. I really do like those two things. And I was also just yeah. thinking, yeah, I do. I think, I th- you know, I've recently discovered like porn for women, and I think it's it's much better. I think when they consider, <laughs> I think when whoever's making the porn considers what a woman would like, it's much better porn. Well, probably. I never understood. Yeah. I mean, sorry, go on. I don't watch porn because I think it's disgusting. So you're probably more of an expert than I am. <laughs> yeah, pro- yeah, yeah. I've got my degree for sure. Um, <laughs> no, it's not healthy. It's not good. You're not supposed to stare at a screen and it's it's all weird. But they've started developing porn for women and it's a little it's more focused on the women having a good time and i think that's just better it's just better i mean you know that's more realistic to what you're doing when you do it in real life but so do men actually do you actually watch porn that's for women or like are you just saying that you accidentally discovered it on the internet and you're like hey how about that i'm into it now i like it better yeah i mean i like it better when i do watch porn i like that porn better yeah, it's it's like more true to what a real experience is. The uh, I always felt like, yeah, the porn, the way it's been has always it's just it feels not real. It's like a little you can really feel the misogyny in it for sure. I'm not just saying that either to pander. I mean, it's like really it you're like, huh, that's not how it uh, how it feels in real life. And, you know, I. It, it, I don't know what kind of person you'd have to be to engage in sex in that way, where it does make the woman feel just like an object and like the way they just hold body parts. <laughs> it's just like close ups. It's just, it was really, yeah, I don't know how that evolved that way or devolved that way. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about like, I don't know, some men feel uncomfortable talking about these things and some men don't, I don't like, feel uncomfortable I'm- talking about anything. Okay, great. So that's where I, that's where I it start to have fun. Okay, so go yeah, ahead, like, ask me I mean, I mean, I guess I'm yeah, like I'm interested in, I'm interested in talking to men about pornography, partly because I do think that porn in general is like a big problem in our society, and that's because most I think most of the porn that men watch actually is quite degrading and objectifying and misogynistic. And I do think that, like, I've known guys who have told me that they feel like they have some sort of addiction to it or that they, like, they'll watch it and then they'll feel a lot of shame. And I know women who've been in relationship with guys who seem to, like, have trouble performing because they overuse porn and stuff like that. And it's and in particular, I feel like now, because you and I grew up without the internet, Right. So when when we grew up, there wasn't Internet porn and it wasn't just like all over the place and essentially completely unavoidable. Like now, I don't think you can exist either as 
a kid or an adult without seeing porn. It's all over Instagram. Like you try to download something. It's, it's just on the internet everywhere. It's unavoidable. And so kids, I think, are growing up with a totally warped perspective of what sex is. And I think it's probably, you know, not a scientist, but like, I think it's probably pretty bad for your brain to be, you know, ingesting those kinds of images online all the time. Yeah. I think they've done some studies too, that, that, that really reinforced that for sure, that it's a drug. It gives you that dopamine hit and it feeds into uh, you know, it's not necessarily addictive the way cocaine is addictive or alcohol is addictive, but it's addictive in the way that it feeds into uh, obsessive behavior. And it does give you a dopamine hit and lights up the same portions of the brain that uh, rewards do that, you know, like food, like food is not inherently addictive either, but can become an addiction. So I think uh, that's the latest science on it. Like much like food can become an addiction, porn can become an addiction. Um, Yeah, it, it does get addictive. It does hurt your performance. It does skew reality. There's no smells in it. There is nothing real about it. It's not three dimensional. There's nothing real about it. Um, and especially when you're exposed to it at a young age, it definitely warps the way, um, you know, you view sex and we're weird. We have a weird relationship with sex in America. We're very puritanical. I think that's sort of in the the fabric of our culture, even if we're not aware of it, even if we're immigrants, you know, it's like that puritanical, a puritanical way is sort of. It's underneath everything. You know, we're not like the French, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but it, and it's weird because it's like on one hand, there's this like puritanical side of things. But on the other hand, we're like totally steeped in pornography everywhere. And we're like obsessed with pornography. And I think pornography has become pretty normalized to the point where like if you criticize pornography, people think you're a weirdo. Like they'll either just assume that you're like religious or you're like, you know, on the religious right, or they'll just be like, Oh, what are you? Ju-? And I, I know this from experience because I spent a lot of time criticizing pornography, but like from a feminist perspective and like, you know, people will be like, Oh, why? Cause you're jealous. And I'm like, Nope, don't want to be a porn star. thing. <laughs> like you know they don't really understand that anybody could be critical of it because it's been so normalized yeah i think people should be doing it more i think people should be having more sex yeah i think people need to have more sex more foreplay there needs to be more foreplay you know just like there needs to just be more people need it's one of the only good things we have and people have all types of strange hang-ups about it and they waste a lot of time not doing it and you're only really like, you know, fuckable and have the urge to fuck for a certain amount of time. There should be more of it. There should be more think, of it. Like, do you think when you, I don't know, people people insist that older people or old people are having sex. I don't know because I haven't asked any old people, but like people seem to seem to say that you can maintain a sex drive. I don't know. I'm also told that like when women go through menopause, they stop wanting to have sex. So who knows? Yeah. Mine's dipped down. That's for sure. I know mine's gone down and it's, it's, it's kind of nice. It's, it's like, it's a, it's nice because it is strong when you're young and it's like all you think about and you know, the way nature has this program, women are just like unbelievably gorgeous like when you're heterosexual it's just like you're just constantly 
like, you know, looking and distracted by it. So it's kind of nice to uh, to have that lesson a little bit later in life. So you can, you know, there's some other wins in life now besides that. Because for a while, that's all there is. Yeah, it does. It seems like it's like totally overwhelming for like, I feel almost bad for like teenage boys and for young men, because I feel like it would just completely take over your brain in life. Well, that's how I know gay guys are gay, because if you're, you know, if you're just not into that, then like there's you can't choose like, you know what I mean? Like I never chose that I was going to be I was like overwhelmed by it. I was overwhelmed by the urge to like always look to always want to always covet, you know, the female form. So if you're not doing that, then you were obviously overwhelmed by whatever made you not do that. Right. So, you know, it, I it's do, such and a I strong think... tug. It's such a strong tug. That yeah. It doesn't seem possible to choose. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I guess that's, I feel like frustrated sometimes because I feel like there's a, Sorry, I know that you're not immersed in feminism, so I tend to think about things like through these lenses and maybe it doesn't necessarily make sense to other people. But like I do, I've found like of late that, you know, I have come into conflict with, I don't really actually identify as a feminist per se anymore because I don't really want to identify as anything. I find it very limiting. But, um, you know, there's an aspect of feminism that is pretty like hypercritical of male sexuality and seems not to understand it. And I think there was a point in my life where I was like that when I was younger and I was like, well, why don't you just not like, why don't you just control yourself? Like, why do you have this drive to like fuck all the time? Like just relax. And I think as I matured, first of all, as women mature, their sex drives go up a lot. Like when you're 20 years old, you're actually not really that into sex. Like you sort of fake it a bit, I think. And I'm I'm speaking from personal experience. Like you pretend like you're really, really sexual and you pretend that you're really, really into sex because that you're validated for that. You're rewarded for that. Like men give you attention for that. But in retrospect, you're like, oh, I wasn't really into sex. I definitely wasn't having good sex because I was having sex with other, you know, 19 year old young men. Um And when you get older, not only do you just sort of get more comfortable with yourself and get more comfortable with your body, but I think there is like a pretty big increase in libido, which is interesting because, I mean, I guess I don't know when men's libidos start to decrease. Yeah, well, it's at its peak, like in the teens, early 20s, and then it just starts to go down. But with women, yeah, there is a lot to be said about the fact that you guys couldn't even really explore (laughs) orgasms. There's not much known about it. It was something that wasn't talked about. It was never, you know, sex was never thought of from a woman's perspective. And that's a shame. I I really wish I was, because sex is so much fun. It's one of my favorite things. And I just, hopefully in a few generations, like, you know, there's more of an even playing field for that. And just kids are having a lot more fun with it and more foreplay and, you know, just women coming more women coming more is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, and that's, I think that women, like, I think that women miss out on so much in sex because I mean, from my perspective, this actually has to do in large part with 
you know, porn culture and porn being normalized. Because if you look at pornography and women see pornography too, and women watch pornography too, like you said, like it's really not about women and women's pleasure. So women, like men learn how to come real early and really easily. And women learn, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do in bed. This is what sex looks like. This is what pleases men. This is what's supposed to turn me on because apparently these women are turned on by this. And none of those things that we're seeing in pornography or most of those things don't have anything to do with female pleasure and women coming. So I think like, you know, like I've known women who are like, I'm 42 years old. Like I know women who've been like close to my age who don't come during sex. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, like, I don't even know if I would bother, (laughs) you know, like that's so sad. And like, and no wonder you think that sex isn't a big deal and you don't know why men are so obsessed with it because you're not having good sex and you don't get it. And that sucks. And like, and often these are women like who watch pornography that I'm like, okay, maybe there's like a correlation here. Yeah, guys should always go last. Guys should got the guys should be the second priority. Like when a, a guy should always think go in going, I'm going to go second. I'm not going to lead, I'm going second. Let me let me make her come first and then I go. And it's better it, the whole thing's better. It's just better build up, it lasts longer. It's there's more mental in it, you know. It, it's so much better when the girl's turned on and then She's opened up because like women after they come, it's just like, that's the bad. It's my favorite part of the sex. You mm-hmm. can do anything at that point and they want to do everything. And <laughs> so <laughs> that's just, the, that's the way it should be. It's a pretty simple, simple formula that, you know, hasn't been because of culture, because of religion, because of whatever it hasn't been. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I, that's probably going to happen in the future. And those, that's why I'm saying I'm jealous of those future generations because they'll probably enjoy that and it'll just be better sex for everybody. Well, hopefully unless everybody just like plugs into virtual reality or the metaverse or whatever, and then pornography or whatever sex becomes some virtual reality. I can't, I'm like so cynical, but I'm also terrible at predicting the future. So I, I sort of think we're going down this like very dark path where everybody is, only going to be dating online and everybody's going to be swiping and swiping and swiping and that yeah porn is going to become some sort of like plug your brain and put your I don't even I'm so like not engaged with that world that I don't even know what the words are but do you think that that's like a a thing that's coming or do you think that's just something that we're having a moral I don't know hyperbolic yeah I don't think so. I don't I think I don't think so. I think I think the metaverse stinks. It's not that great. I think that, you know like the even Facebook's Oculus didn't really do well. Like even when they dropped the price for everyone to get the goggles. It's um you know it's just uh they're recreating what reality is and I think people realize like oh this is just this is not as good as reality. So I'm sure there'll be those people who you know, are able to live their little fantasy life because their life sucks and they can get on the metaverse and they can do that. But I don't think it'll be the norm. I think people will probably reject it because it'll become so commonplace that it'll it'll become trite, like all things that become so accessible. It just becomes trite. The more access that you have to it, the more the more you hear it, it, it becomes trite, like all things. And so I think um, 
seeing talking to people in person being live going to live shows things things that are live will be even more thrilling because they're they're the rare thing you know it used to be the opposite it used to be that seeing someone on a screen was like oh my god this is the rarest thing they're on television it's so few people get on television there's so few uh, uh, options of things to watch this is so rare now screens are the norm and in person is the rare thing so the special thing so i think uh you know you can't you can't replicate that feeling of you know being in being live with a person you can't that that'll always be number one whether you're talking having sex laughing seeing a, a concert listening to music live will always win and so you, you can't beat that yeah i mean i agree i i guess i sort of especially over covid i got pretty worried that people were actually trying to transfer life online. You know I mean? People were doing these stupid zoom cocktail hours and like they're trying to do birthday parties and funerals online. And obviously way more people started online dating and a lot of people were online dating already. Um, and I guess I sort of worried that some of that would stick, but yeah, I think a little bit will. I mean, a little bit will. I mean, it's. A, did you try to? Sorry to interrupt. Did you try? Did you ever try to do comedy online during all that? I did one show on Clubhouse, and it was just awful. I did one mm -hmm. time. I because I was just curious when Clubhouse came out, and I did one show, and it was so obvious that like even if we all went to our retreated to our bunkers for the rest of our lives, that comedy would would not thrive this way. Like, <laughs> I mean, comedy is kind of like those weeds that grow through the cement. I mean, people need to laugh, so we'll find a way, but it definitely was not ideal. You know, it was just people like putting their clap hands up or yeah, it just doesn't, it, it's not the same. It'll never be, it'll never be. We're a social species. So uh, we, we survive socially. So the social aspect will always win out. You know, because that's how we survive. We're interdependent. You know, we, uh, us, dogs, wolves, you know, other animals that survive as a pack. That's how we survive. So that that's in our brain. We're never we're never going to be these isolated uh, cats. That's not going to happen. We'll never become cats. No, I mean, I don't think we can. Like, I don't think that it's possible to be that independent. I think that human beings need community i mean for a variety of reasons like for the social aspect but just i don't really think you can just survive all on your own like you need other people no um i when did you get back to like when did you do your first live show were you in new york that whole time i was in new york it was really shut down and i would go to austin uh to do a few shows during that mm -hmm. time and then, um, yeah, things sort of gradually opened up. I don't remember the first show really I did in New York indoors. I'm, try I'm trying to remember, but because I was continuing to perform uh, in Austin. I'd go to Austin. I'd do a few shows. And um, I did a few outdoor shows in the summer when, like, a couple of clubs built some outdoor stuff. So 
but yeah, I was, you know, mostly podcasting and online and, um, yeah, it feels great to be back. I mean, it feels great to just be back to, to live. That's the, you know, stand up comedy comedy is the best live. That's the best yeah. way to enjoy it. So much is lost when you, uh, when you watch it on a screen. So yeah, I'm glad it's back. I'm glad it's back. It's good. So, and did you, have you found the, are you in Brooklyn? Bro- well, I, uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm, I, I, I'm from Brooklyn, but I live in like, uh, above New York now. I live like in Northern Westchester. Oh, okay. Do you yeah. find like it, I mean, what's it like in New York? Do you think that there's been permanent changes from everything having been shut down for so long? Yeah. Yeah. I think there is. I think there is. I think, um, New York, like many of the cities, you know, experienced this sort of progressive wave, uh, this backlash against like sort of policing because of, you know, uh, incidents of police brutality that we saw kind of play out um, during COVID. And I think New York's one of those cities, like many, there's, there are pretty much, I can't think of a city that hasn't sort of been swept up in that fervor. And uh, that's not really working. That's not really working for the city. And when you couple that with the financial consequences of COVID and the lockdown, it makes for a very bad stew right now. So New York is, you know, New York's not in a great place. I grew up in New York in the 80s and 90s, and you're starting to hear those types of stories that you heard back then as far as crime goes. I mean, New York was on the best run of any city from like the mid nineties to like right before COVID. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was safe. You'd get on the train two in the morning, it would be packed. You never thought about your safety at all. It was actually unbelievable in a city that dense, um, that multicultural, uh, how safe you felt and how great it was. Um, it was a great ride, but yeah, that ride is is kind of unfortunately feels like it's over. And then you know you'll meet people who go like, ah, oh, you know, I was there, it was fine. It's like, yeah, I guess dinner in Soho was fine that night, and I guess you didn't get pushed in the train yet, and most people don't get pushed in the subway tracks yet. But guess what? A few people did, and guess what? Everyone reads the paper, so people see those stories. So whether it happened to them or not. They see those stories. They get scared by those stories. Nobody wants to take that risk that they're going to get pushed in the subway or they're going to some guy was just sitting on the train the other day and he just got shot in the face for no reason. Um, you know, things like that. You, you th- People read that. Mm-hmm. So I hate when people say that when they go like, oh, that's just one thing. You're like, yeah, that's one thing that happened that's in the paper. And that's why everyone's moving. I mean, people are moving. You know, it's like. There's an exodus happening. I mean, it, it is happening. People are moving to New York was not the hottest real estate market the last year or two. And that's a shift that signifies a shift. And I think that shift is not just because of COVID. I think that shift, whether people admit it or not, is because they're kind of sick of the sort of overly empathetic policing and law enforcement that's happening in a lot of those cities. And you see that happen right now in San Francisco where they uh, they recalled the DA, you know, so quickly. And people go, oh, don't, I, I was talking to some kid. It was really funny. 
He was like, don't. He, he showed me, <laughs> this kid showed me a screenshot from his window of San Francisco. And he posted, it's on Twitter, actually, in one of my responses. And he goes, don't, don't believe that right wing bull crap. It's like, San Francisco's great. I'm like, dude, I could take a shot of the skyline in New York from a distance and say things are great too. Look at all these buildings that aren't on fire. Yeah, look at these buildings. Look at this cat's eye view where you can't see anything happening, where things are great. And then I can't see anybody getting shot in the screenshot. And I was like, what right wing thing are you talking about? San Francisco is the most liberal city in the country for the most part. It's one of them. He was recalled by liberal people. He was not recalled. There's no right wing in San Francisco. The liberals recalled him. So it's like people are so programmed and like, you know, they just run to their little corners and they go and you're going like, here is an instance where this should break down your walls and your bubble. And you go like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't really a right wing conspiracy or right wing propaganda because it can't be. It happened in San Francisco. There's no right wing to vote him out. That was all liberals voting him out. And who's leaving San Francisco? Because that's a blue state. And people are moving from blue states to red states. And this is an actual trend is documented. There's statistics that show that this has been happening for like at least a few years now, moving from places like New York and San Francisco to places like Texas and Florida. And who is it that these people think are leaving? Like in droves. And why? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, like, I guess it's, it's like, I I feel like it's attached to this. I mean, I'm always blaming progressives for all sorts of things because now I'm on the far right. I'm joking, but (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I I feel like it's this thing where people don't want to acknowledge reality. People don't want to talk about reality they want they insist on maintaining their narratives no matter what no matter what's happening in front of them no matter what's happening in the news no matter what statistics they see they prefer the narrative and they're going to hang on even if it's bullshit yeah especially if they don't have to live with the consequences of uh the the bad consequences of their narrative especially so you know, it's like when you, even not to beat a dead horse, but you go back to the defund the, the cops movement, you know, you, you go to the neighborhoods, the poor neighborhoods, the people who live there were like, what are you crazy? We need more cops. We just need better cops. You know, like they were they were more realistic about it because they live with the consequences of those policy decisions. When you live in like an affluent neighborhood and you want to look very caring online. You know, you want a nice little smoke screen for yourself so nobody can look through your stuff and realize you go in your accountant's office and try to hide as much taxes as possible so poor people don't get it because you're a rich actor or whatever you are. Um, and you just tweet online, defund the cops or, you know, retweet an article or something. That's easy to do. You're not living, you're not living in the consequences of that decision. You're disconnected by how that's going to affect people um, one way or the other. So, you know, the internet has the internet has accelerated that because it's so easy to throw something in the computer. You're you know, you can even tell by the way people argue. You know, there's no threat of physical violence. So, you're disconnected, you throw something out there, you can do the same thing with a virtue signal, you know? It's harder to virtue signal in person because I can see in your eyes you're full of shit. 
and I could talk back to you. We could have a nuanced conversation. We just throw out a statement there and then just turn your computer off. It's uh, it, it's like everyone's become their own, uh, you know, PR rep. It's very funny. It's very funny. It's like if you advocate for those things, you should go move into that neighborhood. Then I'll believe you. Then I will believe you. If you go, you know what? I'm giving up my role. I don't want to be the Hulk anymore. I'm Mark Rob. I don't want to be the Hulk. I want to give it to Michael B. Jordan or whatever BIPOC person I believe needs an opportunity. I'll give up my role. And I will also leave my affluent neighborhood and go live in a poor neighborhood to let you know that I mean what I say. Then I'm on board. Then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll start believing it because I know at least I know you mean it. But just throwing out some slogan, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. No, no, I know. It's it's not based in reality. But at the same time, these people don't want to deal with reality. And I find the defund the police thing has always made me really mad, even when I was more on the, you know, far left than I am now. Because I was like, dude, like, who... And it's always, it's often like men, it's often these like anarchist guys, these far left guys, and they're talking about how cops are the enemy of marginalized groups, which marginalized groups they're talking about. Nobody knows, just marginalized groups, oppressed people, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, who are women supposed to call? You know, like when they're, you know, and this is happening in these poor disenfranchised neighborhoods there's a lot of domestic abuse there's a lot of violence there's a lot of other forms of violence too there's a lot of gun violence there's a lot of crime but you know what are what are women supposed to do as recourse if they're in a situation where they're being abused or where they're in danger and there's no cops to call like who's going to protect them you like are you this like pasty skinny antifa guy gonna get off the computer and come save her from her boyfriend or whatever like right i don't yeah, know like you thinking. said like you said it, it, it these were a lot a lot of opinions that weren't based in reality that weren't based on data that didn't that didn't match up to what the data was saying were there instances where cops use excessive force absolutely yeah that but I, you know, the whole point of of trying to be progressive is not to stereotype a whole group, right? That's what we're trying to get away from. That's what essentially made people progressive. Is like, hey, you can't just because one person does something doesn't mean the whole group is that. So it was very ironic to me to see progressives doing that, saying stereotyping a whole group. The data doesn't match that, so I don't know what's that that's based on, and um. You know, that that's that's the same anatomy as racism or discrimination. If the anatomy is the same when you go, you know, these groups of people, this is wrong. You're going like, all right, if I looked at the data and I said, oh, wow, cops are fucking murdering, you know, everyone at every stop. Then you go like, all right, you have a point, you know, but it's like that's not there. That's not the truth. And you're just stereotyping is what you're doing. You're doing the same thing that you say that you hate. And that's the problem with going too far in any direction. It's a finite universe. You end up on the other side like Miss Pac-Man and you become what you hate. You become what you hate. The more radical you become, the more like the people you hate you become. Yeah. I'm curious if you've seen this shift to like woke politics impact comedy in a real sense. 
not live. That's the amazing thing. The amazing okay. thing is that's how I know it's never been real. It's like you just don't feel it live. You feel not next to nothing live. I shot my special in the most woke place, Madison, Wisconsin. Right. Um, Why did know, you choose Madison, Wisconsin, by the way? I was like, I watched it recently and I was like, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. I mean, you joked about it in the special, but for two reasons, like it actually kind of ended up uh, falling in my lap that way. I tried to shoot in San Francisco, didn't really come out that well. And I shot that for like next to nothing. I mean, it was just like one lock off shot and one guy roaming. So I shot it for like zero dollars. But the club is incredible. It's run. It's probably the best club in the country. Comedy, uh, comedy on state. They okay. do such a good job. The audiences are so good. They listen. They're, you know, they're from the, the northern Midwest, so they're they're miserable most, most of the year. So usually those people are great comedy fans because they need it the most because the weather sucks. But I also really wanted – I also shot my um, – recorded my album at that same club. And um, I kind of wanted to do it for that reason because I, I, I kind of want to show that it's like – you know, my material is very third rail. If you watch it, it's uh, there's a lot of third rail uh, topics. I'm talking about the culture. I'm talking about the zeitgeist. I'm, I'm making fun of some of the gender stuff and and um, lampooning, you know, a lot of what I feel like is happening right now. And I'm doing it in the belly of the beast. And comedy, comedy wins. It just it just wins. Yeah, and it it that the the type of sensitivity that you hear about that's amplified on Twitter from one account or two accounts or however many, you know, the crazy person on the train is really what it is. The majority is just sitting there silent because they don't want to deal with the crazy person on the train. But that's really what the online culture is. And um, I kind of I kind of enjoy that that's on display during my special. It's like, you know, there half that crowd was was progressive kids. And they they loved it. I mean, you could hear it in the room. So it, you don't feel it live. To answer your question, you just don't feel the sensitivity the, that you read about online live when you're doing comedy. You read about it when someone comments on it. You know, when there's a Twitter account. I had the craziest tweet. And I posted it on my Instagram. It was It was the same material. I was like, this was the tour I was doing to prepare to shoot this special at some point. Cause I knew I had to shoot it cause it had pandemic material and I need to unload it. Um, I, it was in, uh, it was in Dallas. It was in, uh, it was in Addison and there was this girl at the show. And after the show, she tweeted and she, she tagged me. And so she wanted me to see it. And uh, I wish I could pull it up, but I could probably pull it up. But I mean, it's, a, this is just shows you the insanity of like, and this is one person. So this is the difference between reality and like what's happening. Like the show was incredible. The audience loved it, you know, but if people saw her tweet, they would have thought Adolf Hitler came back from the dead. And like, it's just, <laughs> it, 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 it had nothing to do with what happened in that room and that she wrote this. Where the fuck is it? Here was it is. she at the show? She was at the show. So this is what okay. she wrote. She goes, randomly went to Giannis Papa's show tonight and had to leave. He literally touched on every ism you can imagine. Kicked it off with fat phobia, added a whole segment on transphobia, ageism, 
threw in Islamophobia, <laughs> Zionism, and good old sexism. And then he said he's progressive. Cool. I'm going like, you know, somehow, somehow this insanity has spread from the internet to our culture at large. And it needs to be put back in the box because if it's not, <laughs> then we're in some deep trouble. But this is this is not a reflection of reality. This is, I don't know what this is. I don't know what she was watching. I don't know. There's things in here. I don't even like. What was the fat phobia? I'm trying to think if like. The fat phobia had to be (laughs) because I remember. I don't know why this thing. My light keeps going out. But the fat phobia was I said, you know, people in Texas, they're fat. So they're big. Hmm. So I think a riff I had up top was. I was I was a little late to this show because I caught I got caught in some traffic on the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I said there was a couple it was a couple of trucks in front you know I was basically <laughs> and it was kind of true what I was saying was true and when you say it's not based in reality that's the funny thing comedy we sugarcoat reality we 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 make jokes about what we see we all accept it we all laugh at it it's this way that we can express our humanity. And we can say to each other, man, we're all floating on this ball in the middle of nothing and it's hard and there's death and there's disease and we all fuck up. We're all hypocrites. We all got egos. And it's just this thing where we can make you're supposed to make fun of everyone and everything, including yourself, to remind us all of our humanity and that we have it in common. And here she is, you know, interpreting it as the opposite of that, you know, it's not like I wasn't going like fat people should die. That would be Mm -hmm. fat phobia. If I said, you know what? I hate fat people. They should die. And I meant it literally. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm Mm -hmm. saying I got caught in the stairs. I'm telling a joke about what happened and I did get caught in the stairs and it did take me longer to get to the show (laughs) because there's people in front of me who needed to take their time to get up the stairs because if they did not they might have a heart attack. And I mean, Texas. that's it, that's true of Texas, but it's like it's true of America in general, because I'm from Vancouver. And so every time I would I'm I don't live in Canada anymore. I ran away to Mexico. But every time I would go to the States and Vancouver is like a super healthy place. But I would go to the States and be like, Jesus Christ, there's so many fat people here because America has really bad eating habits like it's just true not only is there so 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 much access to fast food and junk food and it's been normalized to you know drink soda instead of water um but the portions are so much bigger like it's it's very obvious if you go somewhere like vegas but again coming from vancouver to many 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 different american states you're like is this what a human in America eats? Because this is four times as much as I would ever need to or want to eat in one sitting. So it's not weird that people, you know, there is an obesity problem in America. It's not offensive to say that. It's true. Yeah, it is true. It is true. And that's the thing. Um, Yeah, people are having a hard time with the truth. But again, I even catch myself there. It's like, it's not people having a hard time it's this one girl having a hard time the rest of the crowd knew exactly what i was talking about even fat people in the crowd were laughing you know i'm sure because i was in texas so i bet you half the crowd was fat 
So, <laughs> you know, it's. They're like, ah, we are fat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. I, I mean, she it, like, it sounds like she'd never, she didn't know, she wasn't familiar with your comedy and she'd probably never seen you before. I mean, who can say? Yeah. Even still, you know, you know, you know, it would be more honest to just go, to just leave mm-hmm. or just not like the show, you know, like what, what are you trying to accomplish by tagging me and putting on Twitter? Like, let's really analyze like psychologically. What, what are you trying to do there? You obviously want me to see it. You want mm-hmm. there to be some sort of confrontation. You want some negative c- consequences for me. You want to be seen. You want to be heard. Um. So like, what, what is she really trying to accomplish by, by tagging me in that? Like, that's what I look at. I'm going like, was that was that for me? Is she trying to teach me a lesson? Um, does she really care that much about society? Um, or is it somehow feeding her narcissism to, you know, have her ideas out there? You know, she's not maybe she's someone who would rather be an actress or a journalist or something else. You know, it's like the same thing it, to me. It, it's a cousin to the psychology of a lot of these mass murderers who just, you can obviously tell they want the attention. They -hmm. just don't want to put the work in to get positive attention. Um, Because somehow in our culture, that's equal success, attention. You see the car, you see all these people famous, especially now, and you go, what do they do? You know, it's like, well, I don't know. The Kardashians kind of, they fuck some guys and they make perfume. (laughs) I don't know what they do, but they're rich and they're famous. So it's obviously what we value, fame. It's a big part of our culture that's not the same in other cultures, to be honest with you. I've performed in other cultures in other countries. You go to the Scandinavia, a comedian is not the top. That's not the top, uh, you know, uh, or a celebrity. It's not the top. And a lot of other countries, it's the same way. But here, it's like we're such fame whores that I think a lot of times – People who don't want to put the work in or just see other people getting famous without any talent get frustrated and they lash out and uh, to get attention. And mm-hmm. it's a, they go, I'm going to either throw this tweet up there or I'm going to shoot up a school. Either way, I'm going to get remembered. Obviously, there's a the wide gap between those two extremes. But I think the anatomy, not to fucking say that word over and over again, but the tenets of it underneath it, it's a narcissistic play. It's about them. It's about, are you really angry at those kids? Like, who are you killing? Like, what are you doing? Like, what's really happening there? You're making a spectacle for yourself to be remembered, right? That, that's what you're lashing out because you're anonymous and you're not good at anything. And, you know, so you're going like, this is what you people want. This is what you, this is what you value is being known. Well, now I'm known. Yeah. I mean, I'm always trying to figure out that the motivation for that kind of behavior also. And there's probably more than one thing. Like sometimes I think it's that, you know, somebody's angry and they feel powerless. And so they just want to like put their anger somewhere. Like maybe she was at your show and she did feel like triggered or angry by something. And she was like, I'm, this is the only way I can figure out how to do something about it because I'm immature and I don't know how to cope with my bad feelings or, and I don't know how to analyze why I'm feeling triggered by this or whatever. But I think that more commonly it's what you're talking about where, I mean, I think people feel 
entitled. Like I think people feel entitled to like a platform and entitled to fame in our culture in any case. And so when they see somebody else, it's like this person has a platform or this person is a successful comedian or a successful writer or, you know, a successful influencer or a successful porn star, whatever it is they're aiming for, a successful actress. And they're like, what does this person have that I don't have? I should have that also. And they try to tear them down through these tweet attacks. Yeah. Especially since people got a lot of time on their hands now. I mean, you can't, you cannot overemphasize that playing a role. It's like people just have free time. You know, mm-hmm. they, they go to get their liberal arts degree and, you know, they, they don't have to work 12 hours a day and they got plenty of time to focus on leisurely stuff in a fence, which if you think about it is the ultimate privilege to just sit around and just be offended. It's, it's just such a, you know, such a privilege. I mean, you, you know, in countries where there's wars going on or there's like a real supply chain problem or, you know, a famine or crops are drying up. Nobody's sitting around going, what did you say, man? That's not right. <laughs> scrolling through twitter and screenshotting yeah, like, wait it a second dude did you just call that group that's not the proper nomenclature you know that's you're not supposed to say tard anymore yeah you nobody's really doing that so it is really the ultimate privilege which is the irony of it all is that it truly is the ultimate privilege to get offended especially by comedy especially in a comedy club where that's what you're signing up for for <laughs> irony that's what you're signing up for. Like you're not you're not going to listen to a speech. Like it clearly people are laughing. So the thing about her tweet was it's it's so inaccurate. What what she should have tweeted was like I'm angry people were enjoying that so much. She put it all mm. on me. It's mm. like the whole crowd was laughing. If someone reads that tweet, they're going like you're going like what show were you at? He wasn't performed. That's what the narcissism comes in. You didn't like it, but guess what? Apparently he wasn't doing that show for you because you weren't laughing, but the whole rest of the crowd was. I remember that weekend. I remember all those shows. It was like, you could hear it. So that's the thing where the boldness, the actual boldness of the circumvention of reality, they've gotten so bold now. For her to tweet that, the boldness of that tweet is actually kind of like shocking. You're going like, how could you even have the temerity to tweet that after being in that room, hearing what the response was? You have to have such a disconnect from what is real to even think about having that opinion, let alone tweeting it, you know? Because the proper opinion would be like, if she was really honest she'd be like and she believed all that so she'd be like i don't know what's going on in our society why were people enjoying that so much like that's wrong but that's not what she said she's going like this person did the you know just these buzzfeed the buzzwords isms every ism it almost looked like it was a parody like the tweet almost looked like it was a parody like are you joking it almost it, it's something that you would see a comedian parody and go like i went to see uh, you know, Joe Rogan and I, it was every ism you can imagine. You're going like, uh, that guy's obviously being sarcastic, but yeah, that that's how ridiculous we've gotten to that point where, you know, reality is parody and it's hard to tell the difference. Yeah, you're right. It's totally self-absorbed because, you know, a person that wasn't a total narcissist would be like, 
okay, you know, this is, you know, maybe, maybe she could have been like, okay, I don't personally find this funny. Thousands of other people are finding it funny. Like maybe this isn't just for me and move on with her life. I mean, there are some people, do you think that these people actually just don't have a sense of humor? Do you think that they're just dicks who want to talk shit on the internet? I think that it's people who really want shortcuts to, to being known. That's what I really think it is. The platform is there. So it facilitates it. They see people doing it. They see people getting famous who, or known who don't have any particular skill or background or trade. And, you know, we don't make anything in this country anymore. There's very few factories. So now there's just factories of destruction. It's like, you know, these people sit around and look to destroy because we don't make. And, Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I really think it is. I think it's it's attention. I think it is like a child who wants ice cream, whose dad said they can't get ice cream, and you just throw a temper tantrum. You, it doesn't have to make sense. You're just, you want attention. That's what I really, truly believe it is. And and you're And you're right that it's like people who have way, way, way too much time on their hands. And I tend to forget that because it's like, like, I'm pretty busy. You're probably pretty busy. Like, I feel like lots of people in the world who aren't on Twitter are pretty busy. But the people who do these kinds of things, the pe- kinds of people who are on Twitter all the time, who are on social media all the time, who are complaining about everything all the time, it's like, you need to get a life. Like, you have, yeah, you have way too much time on your hands, which signals that you're an incredibly privileged person. But also, you know, it's not occurred to you that maybe you could be doing something more useful with all that time, whether it's for yourself or for other people. Like you could be doing something that's making you feel better because I don't think that people who really feel good, like I don't think that people who are really happy in their lives are sitting around on the internet trying to destroy other people's lives all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anyone who is busy is not doing that. I'll tell you that right now. They're not doing that. Um, you know, let's say she had cancer and I made a cancer joke. That would have made more sense, right? Mm-hmm. That would have made more sense. Still, it's a little bit like, hey, I didn't know that. You came to a comedy club, that's the risk. Or, or her mother had cancer. That would have made more sense if she tweeted, uh, you know, my mother has cancer. He wrote, it was a little tasteless. You're going like, that's hazard. That's a hazard of the job. And also, I'm not one of these comics who goes like, I can say anything. That What makes what makes kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, third rail comedy or walking the line comedy or edgy comedy good when it is good is that it can go bad. You can offend. There is a such thing as being offended. Like there is a such thing as going too far. There is a such thing as fucking up. It's a hazard of what I do. It's a hazard of what we do. So if she would have said that she would have at least had more of a point than to just list off these isms. Like, do you really care about how many things you care about, lady? You care about Islamophobia, Zionism, fat phobia, sexism. I mean, you know, it, it's so transparently bullshit. Um, it's actually funny. I actually don't want it to go away that because I'm having so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately I'm starting to sense that it's becoming so transparent that people are starting to go like, all right, enough. We've let the kids fucking make up the world. It, it, you're starting to feel that, that people are going like, all right, you know, you see it with the Leah Thomas decision. People are going like, 
all right, we got to pull this back a little. This is getting a little, you know, just the image of her standing up there, six foot three or whatever. <laughs> and like these other little, <laughs> you like, all right, maybe this is getting I'm a little ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, part of me thinks Leah Thomas just went undercover. She might be a right wing troll who just who went like, you know what? Let me just do this so I can and just dominate. She's probably sitting there just laughing her ass off at every single person supporting her, going like, "This is wrong. They gotta let her swim." She's probably laughing her fucking ass off. You're like, "Please let me swing so I can crush these inferior women." She's probably having a blast with it. Yeah, and, I mean, because uh, it does. It it seems like satire. Like it's so ridiculous. And it's so obviously ridiculous to anybody with eyes that it's hard to take it seriously. I mean, the whole thing seems like a joke. Like if this were all just like uh, somebody playing a big joke on all of us, that would make more sense than what's actually happening, which is people actually literally pretending like these giant men are women and that they should be able to compete against (laughs) them in sport. (laughs) Yeah. And hey, look, I don't knock it because, like, I know I can empathize with what it's like to be ostracized or, you know, to not, you know, get get an equal footing in society and to be a minority. And uh, I get it. And to fight for your rights. Um, and so I can't knock the ploy because sometimes I think, like, hey, if I was – I try to put myself in the shoes of other people to, like, really try. I don't think people do that too much anymore, but they should. It's like if I was trans, right, or if I was LGBTQ, I would try to go as far as possible. Like my ploy, if I was the activist, if like that's what I care, that was my mission, I'd go, we're going to push this so far that uh, (laughs) on purpose for them to be like, okay, just we accept you. Just please don't swim against my daughter. (laughs) And then it's an actually it's like a good met. You know, you go too far. And then, because they didn't accept you at all at the beginning, and now they just want you out of the pool if you're if you were born a biological man and transitioned last year. Yeah, they just want you. You're going like okay, because now that's kind of what's happening. Like people on the right, and sometimes they can, and often are maniacs in their own right, are going like okay, we're for trans as long as you're not in the pool. And if I was the main activist leader, I'd be like fucking mission accomplished. Now we're good. We'll get yeah. out of your pool. But you accept us. And if you pull that shit again, we're getting right back in that fucking pool. (laughs) Like everyone's like, okay, like forget about pronouns. Fine. Trans women or women, whatever. We don't care. Women can have penises. Get out of the pool. (laughs) Just just please don't beat my daughter. She's been training her whole life and it means something to her, you know. So (laughs) there is a, you know, there is sort of a Machiavellian method to that, whether conscious or unconscious to like push all the way to just come back to when you're like, when you're negotiating, right. You go really high and then the Mm -hmm. other person goes really low and then you end up in the middle. So the optimist in me feels like that's where we'll probably end up. And this is part of the process. The Mm -hmm. cynic in me goes, Oh my God, this is the end of civilization. It's all collapsing. Both of those are, could be true yet to see. I, I like you am not good at predicting the future. I don't think anybody is. Well, some people seem to pretend that they are. And, you know, I always appreciate it when somebody predicts the future in a positive way, because like I said, I tend to go the cynics route where I actually think it's the end of civilization and this is it for us. So I'm like, well, I had a good life. (laughs) Sorry, kids. 
I think it's always healthy to ear to ear on the side of cynicism. You'll live longer. I mean, you know, whenever anyone is trying to tell me they're predicting the future, I just feel like they're probably just trying to sell me Bitcoin. And I'm going like, you know what? <laughs> if if I can't understand it after the tenth explanation, I'm gonna hold off for right now and let it play out. You know? So do you find like have you ever felt like you actually self-censored or do you just refuse to? I just don't. I just don't. I never have. And I don't say that as like a, it's hurt me more than it has helped me. And and I've probably been wrong. I probably should have more and not just like to get something, but you know, I go too far a lot. I mean, I've gone, I've gone too far. I, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. That's how I'm, that's me, I guess as part of, uh, I don't think about it. I don't go, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to push it or I'm not going to, I just do, I just do it. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's because if anything, I've been through so much, uh, personally, like actual tragedy with, with health of loved ones, with things that I've been through, with things that have happened, I, Mm -hmm. what I've watched my parents live through and gone through and had to deal with those consequences and that I just, I really look at people and I, I just, I know that they're lying. You know, it's like, I know you're not that upset. I know, even if I did it, you know, I said something offensive. I know you'll be okay. In fact, I'd like to say, I think I'm actually part of your training. I'm helping you. You felt bad about something I said. Good. Get used to it. Because what's coming for you is a lot worse. And it comes for all of us. Nobody's exempt. Hell's coming for all of us. Even best case scenario, you make it to that last quarter of life. It sucks. You're well, everybody have... around you is dying. Then yeah. you have to deal with like your husband dying, your friends dying. Like that's it's it's life is so horrible. I mean, life is great too, but like horrible things are gonna happen to everybody. Life's mostly horrible. I think the boot is the only one that nailed it. I mean, it's mostly bad. And I think (laughs) the point is to have the best time you can in the face of that. That's really what it is. But not to not accept that. You have to accept that. Otherwise, you're not, you're like you said, uh, to keep, not to keep coming back to it, but, you know, you're not living in reality. And that's always dangerous. That's always dangerous. You should always start from what is, you know, that's what utopians and that's the mistake of communism that's the mistake of unfettered capitalism that's the mistake utopians often make is they don't they don't their premise isn't real it's mm-hmm. this fantasy world that will all be equal we're all each according to his need you're like what are you talking about dude there's nothing just watch one nature documentary we're actually pretty empathetic compared to what jaguars are you know we're actually pretty cool so it's like start there start Start from what is, not what yeah. you wish was. And then you can build on what you wish was if you start with what is. You know, you can't start with what you wish it is. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's what I've sort of discovered the problem with the left is, um, which is that you want a utopia that doesn't exist, that never has existed. Like you want society to be completely different than what it is now, which isn't. It's, you know, it's a 
positive aim because you can look at society and see all these horrible, terrible, tragic things happening all the time and all this injustice and people are mean to each other and people beat each other up and rape each other and kill each other. And of course you want that to stop. But then the reality is that it's never going to stop entirely. Like we should work towards preventing bad things from happening, but just like really bad things happen and they happen all the time. And there has to be some kind of balance between accepting reality and also, you know, trying to fight back as best you can. But yeah, I mean, like I, like I, I went through that, you know, as a, my sort of politics changed and I started to think more critically about where I'd come from politically. And I was like, this isn't real. Like I'm, and, and when you want something that isn't real, you're justifying anything you do to get there. And that's, we've seen that happen on the left, which is like, well, we've got to kill the, these fascists. And, you know, anybody that they disagree with is labeled as a fascist because it's the ends to a mean. And they've done that under the guise of, or, you know, because they're trying to create a communist society, which is supposed to be a more equitable, just better society. But it means that along the way, there can be violent revolution and there can be death and you're taking people's property and you're ruining people's lives because of this end ideal that you're trying to get to that you're supposedly going to achieve, which nobody has managed to achieve. And nobody will because it's impossible. But yeah, that's a great point. It's like, you'll rationalize anything for that utopia. And then the next thing you know, you become what you hate. You become the thing that you're trying to create that world to escape. And that's, uh, that's the, that's the big cosmic joke of this whole thing. Yeah. That's <laughs> the big cosmic joke. All you can do is be a grown up and adult and try to mitigate, have good laws and mitigate and good policies and have those policies constantly vacillate according to the times you need to stimulate the economy more. You give some tax breaks. Things get a little unbalanced. You know, you you throw some taxes in there and you keep it moving because one static policy, it will never work. We don't live mm-hmm. in a static. There's the only constant is change. So, you, you know, anyone who's trying to advocate for some constant static ideal is is living in a kid's world. You're living in a kid's world. We're like, let's be butterflies today and we'll be butterflies forever. You're not even this. You're not even the same person. A second, I won't be the same after this podcast as I was at the beginning of this podcast. So, you know, it, it just we've really lost touch. We've we have lost touch with reality, and 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 I think the I, I it's a cliche for me, but the amenities of modernity, sort of the comfort that technology, on top of the industrial revolution, has provided us has made us go crazy a little bit. We're almost too comfortable and comfort corrupts often, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I'm, I mean, do you feel like what you've been through in terms of the kind of tragedy and trauma and hard things that you've experienced have helped you? Like, are you in some way grateful for those things? Or maybe that's not, maybe that's not the appropriate word, but I mean... I feel like people, I feel like people who are too comfortable and that nothing bad has ever happened to them and they've never had to struggle. I feel like they're actually very unhappy people. Yeah. I just could get past the bean. You, you're, you're Canada. (laughs) The things that you've been. (laughs) Sorry. Somebody just made fun of somebody from when I was in Austin, a 
one of my friends made fun of me and I was like, what do you mean? How do you say bean? And she was like, bin? And I was like, I had no idea that I was saying bean in a weird yeah. way. <laughs> my Canadian accent. Yeah. Hey? No, that is, that is the silver lining of it. You're right. It's a silver lining is, um, I feel like I definitely appreciate things more. I appreciate moments more. I laugh harder. Um, more down to earth, more humble. Uh, my ego is less of a problem because mm. I, I know how fragile everything is. I've watched so much pain. I've dealt with so much pain that, that yeah, I, that's the only positive. And it's a consequence of, of, uh, of what I've been through. And yeah, I don't know if there is a way to get to that without going through it. Again, that's the cosmic joke. Someone, I could tell someone, hey man, you should really... You know, I could say all the things that I've learned to someone else and they won't get it until they experience it. And that's the, the, the same went for me as well. You know, someone older could go, hey, man, you know, listen, I'm a little older. This is what I've been through. But it doesn't really click till you go through it. And, you know, that's the that's the that's the funny of, of it all. Yeah. It's like we're, we're it's almost like we're all going to fuck up in order to learn the lessons, because the only source of wisdom is experience. And you can't get you can't learn anything unless you fuck up. Nobody. Even as a comic, I don't learn a damn thing from a good show or a joke that goes good. I don't learn a thing. Not one little thing. It's just a relief. It's like, ah, they didn't hate me. But where I learn is when I fuck up. So it's funny that we're trying to create this society where nobody fucks up. It's like, well, then how are we going to evolve? Yeah. Or nobody has a bad feeling or a bad experience and nobody feels triggered or upset by anything. You know, it's the opposite of what people actually need to grow into good robust humans who are you know level-headed um i wonder if you do you think there's something wrong with comedians that's sort of a joke but do you think that there's you know i feel like comedy is extremely hard and also terrifying and i'm a pretty brave person like there's not that many things that i'm scared of doing but I would never attempt comedy partly because I know that it's extremely difficult and just that you have to like fall on your face over and over and over again to get good. And probably lots of people never do get good. I mean, the, the, the comedians that make it are probably in a minority of people who try to make it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely like a very, very steep pyramid once you get, you know, you keep the longer you do it, the less people that you started with are around. And there's very few people who make it. It's very hard. There is something wrong with us. <laughs> there is something wrong with us. Yeah. Um, like, what is it? What is it? That, what's the drive? Big narcissism. It's nothing yeah. sexy. It's big okay. narcissism, big need for attention. It's probably <laughs> Freudian, like, you know, big middle kid syndrome type of stuff. You know, parents didn't do a good job. Parents messed up and you're trying to get trying to get that attention from strangers. There's a hole in there. There's no question about that. Um, Obsession, obsessive, obsessive personality, um, addictive personalities. I mean, I've been doing it so long and I know so many comedians. You see the common themes and they're they're on display. It's not a there's not many outliers. You know, it's usually bad childhood or ignored on some level, uh, some sort of obsessive personality, definitely narcissism. Um, some of them you meet straight sociopathy. 
I mean, it's a great, the skill set is very similar to a dictator, you know, get on stage and, you know, convince people to like you. Uh, the superficial glib charm, very similar to sociopaths and psychopaths. And so you have a few of those in there. Thank God they're doing comedy and they're not like, you know, uh, <laughs> raping all the resources of some, you know, third world country and <laughs> of some multinational. They're just telling jokes and getting themselves famous. So I'm happy that they're doing comedy, even though I can't fucking stand them. They're at, you can see they're dead in their eyes, but I'm glad they're in comedy. Um, so it really runs the gamut from psychopath to narcissistic <laughs> personality disorder. Okay. I was right. There is something wrong with comedians. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's pretty, I mean, you know, I think it's pretty true. I go, it runs the range from narcissistic personality disorder to psychopath and everything in between. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I, I'm going to let you go soon. I know I've, I've kept you here for a while, but I did. I mean, I think I was, I heard that you got dinged by YouTube recently and I think that's happened to you before. And I, I mean, obviously this is sort of like a widespread issue that people are talking about where people are getting censored online and for comedians, maybe in some ways, some might think, oh, well, it matters less for comedians if they're being censored or dinged on YouTube or banned on Instagram or whatever it is. But, I mean, first of all, what was it that YouTube was going after you for? And, like, does that make you nervous in some way? Yeah. No, it's... I originally put videos up on YouTube around like 2009, 10, I started putting these characters up and, you know, much like I feel like maybe my genre of comedy is, it was very unbridled, the characters. And one of the characters is a trans woman that got very, very popular and um, with marginalized people, which is, you know, which is the irony of it because I noticed that that video had restrictions on it. Like, you know, it was like a year or two ago, I was, I was looking at on my old page and there's just like, there's a warning on it and a restriction. And it's been up for 10 years at this point, you know? Um, But it's, it's really the hot button issue of the culture war is trans, right? So there's, this is trans character. I'm obviously not trans. The, the, The character's Latin. I'm not Latin. So it's really something that you really, the, the character says the N word because that's the neighborhood she grew up in. And all the things so it, you're not allowed to do. It has all the things you're not allowed to do now. So I just, it just feels like, like Tim says all the time, is like you, somebody, you pissed somebody off at Google or YouTube, like something, it's something. So yeah. that's where I think it starts when I saw those warnings. And then, uh, you know, I did another podcast. That podcast is a little racy. Now I've created a new podcast. My channel is a new one. And I started putting those podcasts up. And, you know, this podcast hasn't even been going a year or something. I had two episodes taken down. I mean, it wasn't even like they were taken down. They took two of them. It might have even been three. Was it two did or three? Did they send you like an email or anything? They did. Yeah. They, well, not until they didn't send me. They don't send they you sent you get an email saying that it was taken down for violating the community guidelines mm-hmm. and then there's no other email then you have to appeal and then they tell you why and then they appeal it 
and then they like review it. Um, I'm pretty sure if I were to guess, nobody really knows how it works, but I guess it works like this. People can flag you. Either they have something out for you and they like take you out of the algorithm, which you can definitely feel that that happens um, is they just don't want people to see it and they kind of bury you or people flag it a lot. And then they just, they, 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 they tag it. So they, you know, give you a strike and then they review, they wait till they can get to you. And then some people come and review you who work at Google. And of course the people who are coming to review you, uh, you, you can't really call them comedy fans. I doubt they're comedy fans who are the ones doing the reviewing. They're not <laughs> comedy fans. So yeah, they took them down. So the first one was a strike and then they suspended my page. And it was like, so my page was frozen. So you just so couldn't like, use it at all. I couldn't use it. Couldn't do anything. And it's like, you're suspended. Right. So this was like either the second or third video and they just removed them. They didn't put the warnings on them. Like they're doing a lot of my friends now. Like, I know Tim just got a couple warnings. I know Schultz got a warning. You know, it's like a content warning, uh, certain age groups or whatever. Um, so they just took them down. So I was complaining a lot. I tagged them on Twitter, Team YouTube and all that. But I really think it was Rogan. I think because Rogan's talked about it. So he talked about it. And then I made a clip of him talking about it. And it kind of got like a million views. And like, so there was some attention on it. So I think that pressure, like they don't want people to really know what they're doing. And like, he has a big platform. So I don't think without Rogan talking about it, they would have brought an episode back. Cause what happened is they go, Oh, we were wrong. Cause what happened was a fan had actually transcribed. So when I talked to team YouTube, I asked them what exactly was I flagged for? So they came back with the time codes, which was like their mistake. I guess, because then I went and looked at like what was said and that's what Rogan, like I was texting with Rogan and I told him like, this is what the time codes are. And so that's what he was talking about when he was talking about, he was like, this is what he said. And this is why they removed his episode. And so then they came back after the Rogan clip was all over the place a little bit. And they said, we made a mistake. Uh, you know, obviously it was a mistake. We're putting your episode back up and we're unlo- we're lo- unlocking your channel. So they did it. And then there was the other episode. I was like, well, what about this episode? They never got back to me about that episode. They just left the warning on my channel. That episode was banned. I it's, it got taken down and I never got an answer on that one. So that's interesting to me. I don't believe that without Rogan, they would have put it back up. And I also believe and I think it's common sense that they kind of put a little, they put a little asterisk. They, you know, they, you, you don't just go scot-free after that. You become, you get like in a category, like where they, yeah. I don't know how they do it with their algorithms, but they're going like, all right, this is the type of stuff we don't really want to push. You know, we don't, we want to use these people as an example, because what I believe they're doing is they're caking off on true crime, right? If you look at Google on YouTube, True crime, you go, they'll have ads on 911 live murder calls and it'll be lit up with ads and nobody, you know, they'll, they'll, they got no problem making money off that triggering that talk about fucking triggering content. literal violence literal yeah, violence listen, literal listening to someone Not breaking fake violence from, that's just yes. words people don't like right and so as a smoke screen as like a shield they'll fucking censor a third rail comedian and go, look, we're doing the right thing morally. 
we're looking after the content, you know, blah, blah. and it's like, if you were, you'd be going after that more lucrative thing. Uh, Cause true crime, true crime is the most popular genre, you know, across all platforms. But of course mm-hmm. they're making so much money there. They need some scapegoat to shield themselves from this quote unquote kind of cancel culture and sensitivity that everyone has bowed to, whether it's because they're scared of lawsuits or whatever the fuck it is. Um, so I think that's what their play is. And I think we're the sacrificial lambs because mm-hmm. nobody ever gives a shit about comedians. Nobody cares. We don't win Oscars. We don't win fucking Emmys. There's no comedy movies that win best picture. Nobody takes us seriously. Nobody defends us really. Um, so it's an easy target. Ah, you know, we're censoring these people. We're, you know, we're key. This is how we show people that we're, controlling our content and doing good meanwhile the guy who shot up the fucking subway was rambling on his youtube uh, about everyone he hated and everyone he was gonna kill no fucking no consequences you know it's like but somebody who's obviously a comedian and is being jestful uh becomes a such a quick visible target like this happened quickly so it's not like I was on there for years and I amassed like a following of, <laughs> of racist, you know, it's <laughs> like, I have no history of that. You know, I am not, I'm not that comic, which is hilarious. I'm just not, I don't, I, I, I try to. No, like you're through. like a liberal guy, obviously. I'm, I'm like a anybody, guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyone with a fucking brain can see that. And um, so I think they just pick and they go, that's going to be. You know, and not to be narcissistic about it, because like I'm going me, it's me there, because that could be true too. But you, you definitely, they did take down two of my episodes pretty early on. So whatever it is, they're they're on they're on me. Yeah, I mean, I think they do go after specific people. Um, you know, some often they'll pretend like it's an accident, but. I mean, they obviously targeted me specifically when I got banned from YouTube. And I think like, and I don't know why, like, I don't know why they would choose you specifically, but it does seem like that. And I think you're right that once you're kind of on their radar, then they're on you and, you know, they're, they're keeping track of what you're doing and sort of ensuring you can only get so far in the algorithm. Right. And that's why I brought up uh, my character at the beginning, because I suspect if you, if I, if I'm trying to think about it and guess, I'm going like, okay, this is something that got very popular. I think it has like the one video has like 5.3 million views. Like combined, it's like 10 million with like a bunch of videos and it got very popular. And that's such a sensitive topic that maybe that's where it started going like, all right, the guy who made this, He's too free. He's too unpredictable. And we just have to keep that quiet. We don't want that to be an issue because it's, you can see how sensitive that topic is. Or it's like, you're too bold. Like it's like, oh, he thinks he can get away with whatever he wants. So he's going to continue to think he can get away with whatever he wants. And we need to remind him that he can't and that he's not the one who's in charge here. Right. That's it's gotta be something like that. At the very least, it's an indication of something bigger and has nothing to do with me, which is probably what it is. But it's certainly, um, it's certainly out there and that's what YouTube's doing. I think they want to be like Disney who doesn't, 
Disney's runs the world. They make the most money. They do kids programming. Everyone wants to be Disney. Uh, it's the most advertiser friendly way to go. Less headaches. And so that's probably what they're doing. They're probably going like, all right, let's just slowly make this the safest place for advertisers so we can make the most money. And let's turn our backs on the people who made this platform popular. Uh, independent content creators. That's what YouTube, that's what made YouTube big. Now you go on there, you see movie trailers and, you know, it's really like vi- all these companies are pumping millions of dollars to Google to push their stuff to the forefront. So the game is rigged now. It's not, it's not user generated anymore. And that's obvious. I mean, does this bother you a lot? Is this going to impact your career in any way? It totally impacts my career in a very negative way. <laughs> it makes it, we're all nervous about it. We talk about it all the time. You know, when I'm on, when I'm talking to comics and uh, me and Rogan were talking about it the other night. Um, I think it, uh, we have to bob and weave and figure out where is a place where, you know, where can we create, you know, we're, we're rebels by nature. That you know, that's what we're, I'm a rascal by nature. It's what I'm always going to poke bears. I'm always going to find out where the line is and sometimes cross it. It's just like, you know, it's like asking a spider to stop crawling on eight legs. It's like, I can't do anything else. So it does worry me. Yeah. I can't, I'm not a good clean comic. I'm not a good innocuous comic. So it's not, I'm not even tooting my own horn. I'm saying like, this is what I do. This is all I can do. It's how I'm wired. So yeah, it's not a good time for that. At the beginning, when the internet first started, it was a great time for that. But now, yeah, you start looking at Patreon, you start looking at subscription, the subscription model and how much Mm -hmm. more conducive that is to what I do, what I know some of my friends do and how that's a little bit of a safer bet because their business model depends on people like us who have subscribers that want to hear this stuff and it's safe for them. Because like, if anyone complains, you're going like, you're fucking paying for it. Like there's no ads to worry about. We have nobody getting pissed off. So that seems like a safe place. Yeah. Um, You know, Tim has done it very well. Some people have done it very well. And, and I, I think that eventually comedy finds itself in some sort of subscription model because we're slowly being pushed out. You know, when you do ads, it's like a deal with the devil. You're really making a deal with the devil. As soon as you start reading ads and we all like money and we like the money that ads give us. So, but it is a deal with the devil. You know, once you start fucking selling hello tissue or whatever it is, hello tissue wants you to be a commercial for their products. And they have these demographic uh, numbers and everything. And they go, Hey, we don't want our product affiliated with a joke like this. And you're going like, that's your right too. So it becomes very sticky and you know, Google's no, uh, YouTube is not, it's just network now. That's the, it's a network. It is a streaming network. They're the most gangster network because they get you to do all the work and post and do everything. And they collect all the money because they fuck you on the ads too. Who knows how that works? That break. Oh, I don't make any money off of YouTube because all of my videos are demonetized. I mean, I don't have that many views that I would be making a ton of money anyway, but everything that I put there, they demonetize because I talk about supposedly controversial things. Yeah. 
And even when you do have a monetized video, the split is never explained to you. They never go, okay, we're, <laughs> like, we're giving you uh 64. It's like, we'll take 98. And you'll take 2%. This, yeah. Yeah. Here's a little, whatever. Okay, thanks. We'll take everything. <laughs> So they're a network. They have ads. I mean, their their entire apparatus is the same. It's a network. They're a network now. They're a network that has advertisements on there. They sell ad time. They have pre-roll. All that stuff is the same thing that networks do. And so now they're starting to act like networks, and we shouldn't be surprised because they're no different than ABC. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to let you go, and I'm sure that you have – Lots of things to do. You're a busy person, as we discussed earlier. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to sit around and yeah, I got, I got, I got a daughter, and you know that keeps me busy now and then. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. What do you have coming up? Where can people see you? Yeah, well, pl- just wa- please go watch my special. It just came out. Uh, it's on YouTube. Our <laughs> Go to Thanks, YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> yeah, go watch Mom Love. Uh, you can. My podcast is Long Days with Giannis Pappas, and uh, uh, my tour dates will be coming up. Since I just shot the special, I'm starting to work on a new show. So in the fall, I'll be going out. So GiannisPappasComedy.com for that, and that's the extent of it. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me. I'm so appreciative. Um, I'm really. Yeah, I was happy that you responded and that you were willing to take the time to come on. This was fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a great time. It was a great talk. Great chat. Yeah, hope to see you in person someday. Absolutely. Okay, take care. All right. Bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. This allows you access to special content, early access to episodes, and almost weekly private live streams where you can ask me anything you like. Alternatively, you can support this podcast directly on anchor.fm via the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. I produce and host this podcast all by myself, I have no major funders, advertisers, institutional support, grants, or sponsors. It's all me and you, the listener. You can donate any amount you like from $5 a month to $20 to $100 or more or less. It all counts. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm.